This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome on into another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined as always by Jim Callis. Jonathan Mayo has the week off, but Jim uh, is joining me here today uh, to talk about the first four positional top 10 lists. We're going to be talking about right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, catchers, and first basemen in advance of the top 100 prospect list reveal, the new and improved top 100. Uh, And Jim, when can we expect to see the new top 100 list? That will be out a week from Saturday, which is the 25th. Um, Jonathan and I will be taping the show, uh, I believe, with Greg Amsker and Carlos Pena on Friday the 24th, and it will air for the first time at 3 p.m. Eastern on MLB Network on the 25th, um, and it will air several times over that weekend. Let us get into the list that have been revealed so far because we have uh, four of the positional lists have already been uh, released on LBPipeline.com. Those are going to be the ones we're talking about today, as well as one uh, pretty pretty interesting uh, little prospect-related trade that went down between the Cardinals and the Rays. We're going to get to that a little bit later. Uh, but, Jim, let's start with the uh, the first the first list that, that came out, which is the, the top 10 right-handed pitchers uh, list. Uh, we got Casey Mize up at the top. No surprise there. Nate Pearson at two. Uh, Forrest Whitley, Michael Kopech, Sixto Sanchez, Dustin May, Matt Manning, Luis Patino, Spencer Howard, and Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, so all these guys, you know, some of the best, of course, we've, we've, we've had them. We've seen them on the top 100s. We've seen them near the top of the team list. Uh, as you were putting this list together, was there one guy that kind of uh, shot up the rankings uh, as you realized, like, damn, this guy's really made some progress over where he was a year ago? Or did these guys kind of shake out where where you expected? Um, not too many shocks here. I mean, when, when we're putting these lists together, the starting point is the top 100 list, which we do have already, but we're not allowed to uh, reveal any details about where anybody ranks on the top 100 list. Please do um, not. And I'm, you know, I'm wearing, um, I'm wearing a buzzer on my shoulder. I will receive an electric shock, not to tell me a fastball is coming, but to punish me if I were to reveal where anybody's ranked specifically on the top 100. But um, anyway, so these lists, I mean, the right-handers know because when we're doing these lists, there's always you know, 20 or so right-handed, right-handed pitchers on the top 100 list to begin with. So you're getting guys who are going to fall always in the upper half of the list. Um, and, and I think all these guys were ran- are ranked pretty high on our current list. Now, you know, if you go back and look from a year ago, I think the guy who would probably surprise you the most would be Spencer Howard. Um, mm-hmm. You wouldn't have expected him necessarily to be on this list. You know, he was coming off a year. Um, you know, it was an okay year, first full pro season uh, and low class A, although he did kind of give a hint of what he might become. He threw a no-hitter in the Sally, play, Sally League playoffs. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting to me that he, he jumped this high, even though he missed two months last year with a sore shoulder. But his changeup got a lot better. His control got a lot better. And he, and he you know, I thought he had from start to start the best stuff we saw in the Arizona Fall League. So, um, you know, to get back to your question, not a surprise, I think, that any of these guys are on the list and that they're in the top 10. But if you were looking a year ago, he probably would have been the guy we didn't see coming. Uh, the, the the other two guys are, I want to ask uh, on this list, uh, Whitley and Kopech. Kopech, of course, uh, out with Tommy John. Whitley kind of had another down season. Uh, was there any discussion about moving them even farther down than where they are at the at the uh, three and four spot on this list, or could you kind of not go any any lower for them in that point? No, you could. You know, it's funny because you know we got the list set, and, and you know, again, I can't. I, I don't want to get my electric shock here. <laughs> I, I will say that Forrest Willie, who's number three on the list, and Luis Patino, who's number eight on the list, those guys are separated. They're in a run of nine spots on the top 100. I think I can say that. Right. Um, so they're all very close together, and you can argue them in different orders. And as we were, we kind of finalized it, and it was locked in stone. Okay, we're good. And then actually, I, 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 I know, and if Jonathan's here, he would confirm this. I'm a compulsive tinkerer. I will always 
be thinking like, ah, should we do this? Should we do that? Should I make another phone call and ask one more opinion? I will say when you look at number five and six on the list, Sixto Sanchez, who's had some physical issues himself, but hasn't had surgery um, and hasn't had, you know, didn't have a horrible year like Forrest Whitley had last year and, and Dustin May, those guys have crazy good stuff. Maybe not quite as good as Whitley and Kopech, but it's pretty good stuff. And they have just demonstrated much better control. I think you could argue Sixto Sanchez and Dustin May over Whitley and Kopech. Now, we have all those guys mashed very, very close together, but you could. And then, you know, if you want to take that a step further, I think Manning and Patino's control commands may be a half grade behind Sanchez and May, but it's pretty good. And it's still better than Whitley and Kopech. And those guys have good arms. So I think you could argue that too. I, I really think those guys, like, to me, looking at this list, yeah, you know, and again, if people look at our our current top 100, I don't think there's there's you know we we move guys around, you know when we we reexamine them, but I don't think there's any going to be anything shocking when you see the new top 100. If you look at the old top 100, at least the top of it, you know Casey Mize and Nate Pearson to me are clearly one and two, and really one and one A and one B, you could flip them, and then you kind of had everybody else, you know that that big group like I mentioned, six guys and nine spots behind them, and then Spencer Howard and Grayson Rodriguez not too far behind, and then you could probably come up with a bunch of names. I mean, like we, we did on Twitter, you know, hey, where's Ian Anderson? Where's Logan Gilbert? You know, there's a lot of right-handers who are going to be on our top 100. And there's going to be right-handers who are going to be in the upper half of our top 100 who don't make the top 10 right-handers just because you run through them pretty quickly when you start at the top. Yeah, and that, that's interesting that you say that you, you view Mize and Pearson kind of almost equal. Um, I mean, Pearson had, had one heck of a season, especially being healthy. Was there any, I mean, Mize was safe in the number one spot, even if you're saying they're even, right? I mean, it's, it's really close, but, but you think Pearson really, really giving him a, a run for his money? I mean, I think we, the problem is I, I would ask like where they're at this time next year, but is a good chance we see both of them in the big leagues. So I'm not sure if they're going to be graduated uh, at this point uh, next, next season. But I mean, Pearson's kind of, he's really gained on him that quickly, you'd say. Yeah. I mean, and you know, they're not too far apart on our, our, our current top 100 either. Um, you know, on the on the 2019 top 100, Casey Mize is seven and Nate Pearson's ten. Um, you know, I had one scout who told me Nate Pearson was the best pitcher he saw anywhere last year. You know, and again, if you're you're quibbling, if you want to make a case for Nate Pearson, you could point out, look, I mean, Casey Mize got shut down again last year, and he was shut down twice as a sophomore in Auburn. And you know, yeah, Nate Pearson missed time the year before it was because he got hit by a line drive. Um, so. You know, you could, if you wanted to worry about Casey Mize's health a little bit, you know, you could maybe bolster your argument for Nate Pearson that way. I mean, just to, well, I guess I shouldn't say where I put that. I, I had them back to back. We start the process, we each do like a top, I think it was 120 or 125. And then we kind of put them together in a spreadsheet. And then we debate them and then we get a bunch of feedback. I had Casey Mize and Nate Pearson back to back on my personal top 100. So I, I think they're very close. I mean, if you're lining them up, I think, you know, Pearson's got, you know, as good a fastball as any starter in the minor leagues, you know, Mises is plus. Mises' splitter might be the best pitch all around anywhere in the minor leagues. They have comparable sliders, and Casey Mises has a little bit better control. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're very, very close in my mind. And as for the guys, uh, you know, of course, with any, with any prospect list of any scale or magnitude, there are always going to be people saying, oh, where's this guy? Where's that guy? So let's give a little bit of love to the guys who just missed the list. Um, you know, guys like Kyle Wright, guys like Hunter Green who are coming back from injury, Logan Gilbert with the Mariners, Mitch Keller. I mean, these are all guys that I'm sure were very close. Ian Anderson was a guy I saw you got a question about on Twitter. Um, I mean, for you, if, is, there, is there one that stands out or, or even a guy that, that you maybe fought for that, that could have been on? Um, that's good. Yeah, I didn't. Th Let me see. I'm just looking at this real quick. We have we have spreadsheets upon upon spreadsheets, and I'm looking to see if there's anybody. If I, if I voted for another right-handed pitcher, yeah, I mean, I had some of those guys ahead of a couple guys. Like like again, I think they all bunch up pretty quick. Yeah, definitely. So it's, I it's had, hard. This is this is these are you're really splitting hairs here. I mean, these guys are all pretty close together already. I mean, several of the guys you mentioned, I, I had ahead of of guys who, who made our, our top 10, not, and I'm not saying like, I'm in disagreement. I went for guy like, like I like Spencer Howard a lot. And he looked in the fall league. The fact he had, he didn't have a full dominant season. I had him a little lower on my list initially than, than Jonathan and Mike did. So I had guys ahead of him. If you're, I, I guess if we're framing this as to like, which guy didn't make the list, 
is my my pick to click or a guy who could shoot up. Um, I like Logan Gilbert. Um, I think the Mariners got a little bit of a steal, even though they took him 14th overall <clears throat> in 2018 because he had mono and his velocity was kind of all over the place after he had a dominant Cape season. Um, and the Mariners didn't have him make his pro debut until this year or until last year, I guess we're in 2020 now. Um, and the velocity was back. The slider looked really good. He got to double A. He threw a lot of strikes. I, I think Logan Gilbert's a guy who will be on this top 10 before the end of the season. I think that is uh, I think that is very fair and uh, not just saying that as a Mariners fan. All right, let's go to the left handed uh, pitchers led, of course, by your favorite prospect of all time, Mackenzie Gore. Uh, <clears throat> no surprise there. You're about to cough. I know. I'm giving and you it's my only call fair. Over, over Skype, apparently. It's only fair. No, I'm I'm just getting emotional uh, talking about Mackenzie Gore, as as we all do. That's, uh, my, that's some, my job. <laughs> some other some other fun names on this list. We got Jesus Lazardo, Brendan McKay, Tarek Skubal. I'd say that's a pretty uh, surprising one from where we were a year ago. Nick Lodolo, the recent first round pick. Matthew Libertor, who was just traded to the Cardinals. We're going to touch on that. AJ Puck, who we've seen on this list for the last few years. Daniel Lynch of the Royals. Braylon Marquez of the Cubs. And D.L. Hall of the Orioles of Baltimore. Interesting to see an Oriole uh, number 10 on both of these lists with G-Rod and D.L. Hall. Uh, but let's talk about these lefties. I'm not, we're just going to skip right past Gore. We know he's the best. We know he's awesome. Well, I will say, I mean, I, I mean, that is true. And we, you know, I, I, in my mind, he's the best pitching prospect in baseball. Yeah. I will say that it's funny that, uh, you know, Jesus Lazardo, you know, had, you know, injury issues last year and, and missed a lot of time and, and didn't come, you know, did, only pitched 43 innings in the minors and, you know, looked pretty good in a handful of relief appearances in September in Oakland and in the wildcard game. I mean, Jesus Lazardo is, is right there with them. And I think I they would be. Maybe even a little closer together. I can't talk about exactly how close they are on the top of <laughs> I think they would be even closer together had Jesus Lazardo been healthy. Now, yeah. of course, you could say had he been healthy, he probably wouldn't still qualify for the list. Right. But healthy Jesus Lazardo is right there with Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, no, I think that is that is very fair. So for those uh, A's fans feeling slighted, Lazardo is is no nothing uh, to mess around with. Uh, let's talk about Tarek Skubal because um, I think he's a guy that a, a year ago, not only would you maybe be surprised to see him uh, where he is on this list, but ahead of a guy like Nick Lodolo, um, who is you know, I, I know they're they're very close, they're, they're very close uh, together. Be careful. As, as I, be careful. I know I'm not saying I'm not saying exactly, but uh, we know they're very close. But the point is, is still the fact that they're even anywhere near each other. When Lodolo, you know, was arguably he was, you know, he was the first college pitcher taken uh, in the 2019 draft. Um, so, so that that is an interesting one. You talk talk a little bit about about Scoobles, uh, uh rise over the last year. Yeah, you know, he's a guy who was you know at the University of Seattle, which is not necessarily a baseball power. Or I guess it's Seattle. Is it University of Seattle or Seattle I, University? I, I believe it's Seattle University. Yeah, see, I already like you, that, you, that's you've bad. shown I, them I, no I Seattle University. And I'm sorry to Seattle University for not uh, not getting that correct. But um, no, he, he he was known as a live arm there, but he had Tommy John surgery and he bounced back and he had to um, you know, he I think like a lot of guys when they first come back from Tommy John, you know, his control and command weren't the sharpest, um, so he wound up going in the ninth round of the 2018 draft. Um, but I had scouts, who, you know, it's interesting because I don't do the Pacific Northwest. Jonathan does. But I had scouts who told me, hey, don't sleep on Scooble. It's a pretty good arm. And, you know, his first full year in pro ball, I mean, hard to ask him to do more. I mean, he, he, he started in high A, which was an aggressive assignment. He got to double A. Had a 2.42 ERA, 179 strikeouts, 122 in, in two-thirds innings. Um, I think Mike Rosenbaum wrote that he they had the highest swinging strike rate among all minor league pitchers, which is you know pretty good. Um, you know it, it's a it, you know the fastball we we give it a plus grade, but guys just don't hit it. It might be I mean in terms of its effectiveness, it might be. Closer to double plus, plus slider, solid curve, solid change, solid control. He's really, really good. And I think he gets overshadowed a little bit because in his own organization, he's only the third best pitching prospect behind, uh, you know, behind Casey Mize and Matt Manning. Um, but yeah, no, Tarek Skubal is really good. And you're right. Had, I mean, 
had you had a year ago, you said, "Hey, Jonathan and Jim, you're going to have Tarek Skubal as the number four lefty in baseball next year." We both would have been shocked, although you, you knew he had a good arm. But yeah, he he definitely you know kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I'd say that's a that's a pretty pretty big leap there. And and if you're Tigers fans, you know you're looking for anything. And it's cool to see that there's not, it's not just Casey Mize and Manning. Now you have a third arm that you could uh, potentially be the pillar of your rotation the next time the Tigers uh, are good. Uh, let's let's hit on Matthew Libertor here uh, because he was he was traded uh, since the last time we podcasted. Um, he was traded from the Tampa Bay Rays, the team that selected him in the first round in 2018, uh, to the St. Louis Cardinals uh, in exchange for. Randy Arozarena, Jose Martinez, and some little comp round. They they swapped comp round draft picks. They got him a, a lower level catcher. Don't have to go into to all the all the details of that. But but Libertores is the biggest prospect name traded here. No no offense to Randy. And so uh, before we talk about his ranking on this list, uh, what did you what did you think of that trade? It kind of caught me off guard. I mean, I think the Rays. You know, look, the Rays track record of making trades and acquiring players is pretty good. But to me. I just didn't get this one. Um, you know, I'll be honest. It made me wonder. Am I, okay, am I missing something here? Is there something about Matthew Libertor? I don't know. But, I mean, not to – I'm not trying to kill anybody here. But, like, Jose Martinez is going to be 31 this year. He's essentially DH. Had an okay year last year. I, I don't see anything special there. You don't really want him running around your outfield because he's a bad defender. Um, Randy, uh, you know, Razarena. Okay, you know, he's interesting. I, I I don't think I mean he's not a, a top one hundred prospect by any means. Um you know, the triple A the baseball basically ruined our ability to read too much into statistics last year. Yeah, he had a great year in triple A, but like I'm not really convinced he's an impact bat. I think he's more of a useful player. He might be more second division regular or or fourth outfielder than everyday player on a contender. Um, okay, so like you got those two guys, and you moved up, you know, roughly thirty spots in the draft. I, I will give that up every day to go get Matthew Libertor. Um, I, I think there, there's projection in there. I, I mean, I think we're talking about a guy who could have three plus pitches, and he really knows how to pitch. Um, you know, you get the cool, you know, he, he's really good friends, obviously, with Nolan Gorman. So it's kind of cool. They're reunited again. Um, you know, buddies from Arizona high schools who, who grew up, you know, playing, you know, with and against each other. But I, I mean, what do you think, Jordan? I mean, it was funny because the way that trade broke was weird, too. Is like we heard there Super was a trade weird. between the Rays and the Cardinals and Matthew Libertor's involved. And, and, then and that was like was three hours, like two or three hours. And yeah. it's like, OK, what are they getting? And. And there was speculation because Carlos have so many outfielders. I, and, and it was funny. My first thought was, oh, I bet Tyler O'Neill's got to be in that trade. Now he'll, now he'll get a chance to play or something. But um, I, I couldn't, you know, I was trying to figure out, okay, like, what did they exactly get? It's got to be big league help. And, I mean, they, to me, they, they trade him for a pair of complimentary players. And I just, I mean, yes, pitching prospects are volatile. You know, he's, he's barely gotten started. The Rays handle their pitching, their high school pitchers very carefully. So he, he pitched about 80 innings in low A last year. But I, I would make that trade every day of the week if I'm the Cardinals, and I don't quite understand the thinking behind the Rays. I mean, the Rays clearly think that Martinez and Arozarena are, are better than I think they are. Yeah. And maybe they are less, you know, excited about Libertor's upside after seeing him for a year. But I, I'd make that trade every every time. Like like that, I, you know, a lot of trades you kind of say, okay, I can see what both teams were thinking. Mm -hmm. That one, it's like you had to give up Matthew Libertor to get that. Like you right. couldn't have it, given it up. Does, it does feel right. like a, just a split in evaluation. I mean, it, it is like they just might see something a lot more. And I I, I imagine that, that, that Rosarena has an even bigger part to do with it than Martinez, who's more of a help now piece. Whereas Randy, if you really do like him, is helping, you know, a little bit longer term. You obviously have him under control for longer. So, no, I agree, though. I, I It was a little bit weird. It was very weird trying to piece together what that trade was going to be. I thought, like, Bader would be involved or even O'Neill if it was going to be something like that. Uh, someone as good as Libertor. But, you know, uh, I guess I guess we'll, uh, you know, time will tell how much those guys end up helping the Rays who are, who are clearly trying to uh, 
uh, to to compete in the AL East. Libertor is not going to help them with that. And it's not like the Rays still don't have an amazing farm system, right? So uh, while I do agree it doesn't necessarily look correct uh, value-wise, um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be just fine <laughs> in the farm system rankings uh, without him. But but yeah, Libertor, I mean, this this is probably about where, where we would expect to see him uh, slotted in. I mean, he was obviously one of the the top draft. I know he fell to the to the mid teens in the draft, but he easily could have gone top ten if it broke a different way. So um, to see him here uh, as the number five five left handed pitching uh, prospect on the six. six 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 sorry six uh, is is yeah is, is looks 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 seems seems about right. Um, is there anyone else uh, at the bottom of this uh, left-handed pitchers list? I mean, Braylon Marquez is definitely getting a lot of people excited because, you know, we've, we've got him with with an 80 fastball. Uh, he's also, like, the only good Cubs prospect, so that probably only helps. Only good Cubs pitching prospect. Come only on. good Cubs. Okay. Nico okay, so. Horners and Brennan Davis don't want to hear you. Miguel Amaya, who we're going to talk about uh, in a minute. <laughs> okay. Okay, all of them are, me. like, you just defended all three guys horribly. Okay, well— well, definitely pitching wise, uh, he he stands clear uh, and above everybody else they have. So, uh, is Mar- Marquez? Uh, he seems like the the hot name right now. Is that is that safe? Because I feel like Daniel Lynch really was break, broke out. We talked about him earlier this season. He was good in the falling too, but but Marquez uh, seems like a, a hot name right now. No, he he is he is. I mean, I, I think he's the hardest uh, uh, hardest throwing. Um, you know, lefty starter in the minors. I mean, he was up to 102 several times last year. Um, you know, his fastball's gone from 91 to 93, kind of, you know, ranging there in 2017 to 93, 96 in 2018 to the sitting at 96, 98 last year. Um, man, I've got, uh, the, the baseball phones are ringing. I'll have to, uh, we'll just have to let that go. Cause I can't, there's no way I can hang up uh that's my landline there but um anyway um i'm just glad someone is still using landlines i gotta be honest well it's because that's only because of laziness we moved in this house in 1997 so i don't know if you heard the my cell phone rang first um i'll have to call this guy back in a second but um anyway um you know marquez i mean he's got great fastball slider came on and what's great what's really encouraging about him is you know he had stuff it was, uh, you know, you, you could see that there was a potential for, for big-time stuff, and he didn't always harness it. And his last seven starts, very small sample size, so we'll have to see how it builds this year. Very small sample size. He had a 48-8 strikeout-to-walk ratio down the stretch last year, so just started throwing a ton more strikes. And, you know, from a Cubs perspective, this is, like, a hugely positive development because they just haven't developed any pitching prospects um, under Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, and and they obviously desperately need to do so. So it, it's really cause for optimism, at least a cause for optimism that, that here's a guy who could be an impact pitcher. Right, and also like the kind of guy that, since he's, I mean, I who knows how much they're going to really rush him, but like he could be near the top of this list next year, right? I mean, there, there's no reason uh, why he he could not continue to. Uh, to fly up the prospect list. So there you go, Cubs fans. I know it's been kind of a rough offseason, but uh, you can be excited about Braylon Marquez. All right, let's move to the catchers, Mr. Callis. Okay. Where they are led by the greatest prospect who ever lived by some measures. Adley Rutschman, Baltimore Orioles, number one overall pick. Of course, we knew he was going to be there. You know, of course, one of the best draft prospects, amateur prospects in recent memory. So we have him there at the top, uh, followed by Joey Bart. Sean Murphy, Luis Camposano with the Padres, Francisco Alvarez with the Mets, kind of the the pop-up guy there, Shea Langoliers, Atlanta, Kai Bear Ruiz, Sam Huff, the Futures Game MVP, Dalton Varsho, Miguel Amaya. Uh, so I I mean, Adley, again, it feels like he, he's he's amazing. There was no question there. You guys will see where he's on the top 100. He's he's great. Adley's, Adley's great. Um, I want to talk about Francisco Alvarez because he's really the, the pop-up guy here. And to see him ahead of even a guy who's who's been on the top 100 recently, like Kai Bear Ruiz, even ahead of a guy who's performed at the higher levels, uh, like Dalton Varsho, um, you guys must have gotten some pretty good reports uh, to to put Alvarez all the way up here as the as the fifth best catcher uh, catching prospect in baseball. Yeah, I mean that, that's probably you know that that is an aggressive ranking. Um, you know, we obviously believe in it to have him where we do. I, I believe he's the only guy on this catching top ten list who isn't on our end of season 2019 top 100. If, if I have that correct, but um. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a guy who has a chance to be, a, you know, the, the whole package as a catcher. I mean, he he was in the Appy League at age 17, and I'm not putting him in the same class as these guys. Um, and he didn't put up monster numbers, but he put up good numbers. But, I mean, 
I mean, that's we got all excited when, when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. went did that, and we got all excited when Wander Franco did that, or, or Wander Franco did that. And you know, again, he didn't put up you know unbelievable you know Vlad and Franco numbers, but I mean, going to the Appy League and putting up an 820 ops, um, you know, five homers in 35 games at age 17, that's impressive. He didn't look overmatched. Um, he's got the tools to hit for average and power, probably a little bit more average than power in the long run. Got a very strong arm. Um, you know, he's still smoothing up the, the, the receiving and, 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 and the blocking and the game calling like all young catchers. But he looks like he's going to do well in those areas. He moves really well behind the plate. So I think you're looking at a, a guy who could be, you know, outside of the running. You know, he has a chance to be solid or better with all the other four tools. So, I mean, it, it, it's an upside play there. Um, he's got, you know, one of the higher ceilings of the catchers on the list. You know, maybe you could argue, you know, might have the lowest floor because he hasn't proven anything in full season ball yet, but it, it's a pretty exciting package. Yeah, that is, uh, that is an aggressive, uh, aggressive ranking. But like you said, it, it is worth noting, like when, when guys perform, uh, at even in, in the Appy league at such a young age, it is, it is definitely worth something. Uh, Sam Huff really, obviously he came out of nowhere he we had him on this podcast uh last season when he hit like eight homers in 10 games he goes and goes and wins the futures game mvp um was this uh was was it a, an interesting discussion to see where he ranks because sam huff this is a great example we talk about uh Tarek scubel compared to uh, to nick lodolo if you looked in, and saw uh how closely you know kyber ruiz and sam huff uh were on, on this catcher's list like that's that would be pretty shocking if you looked at this a year ago. Um, so how is the discussion around where Sam Huff should end up on this list? Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been. And I want to say, I think I'm, I'm going to look real quick. I know, like I do our Rangers list. So I had Sam Huff on my Rangers list last year. And at this time last year, he, he wasn't on the top 100. He was number 21 on our Texas list. Um, and in our Texas list, I always say it's so tough to do because there's so many guys with upside and it seems like, like they've had some injury issues and, and guys' performance has been volatile. That I feel like I turn in a Rangers list and five minutes later it's like, ah, oh, I wish I could redo the whole order all over again. But yeah, I mean, Sam Huff was just, you know, a year ago this time, it's like, okay, he's got some power. You know, what is Sam Huff really? Um, you know, and, and he continues to show the power. I think he finished one homer behind Cal Raleigh, I think, for the minor league lead among catchers with 28 last year. Um, yeah, but he's interesting because he's, he's huge for a catcher. He's 6'4", 230 pounds. And I don't know if you read my little write-up of him on the top 10 catchers list, but uh, Jordan, how many catchers who are 6'4", 230 pounds do you think have caught even 300 games in the big leagues career? Oh, man. I was about to say Grayson Griner, but he obviously uh, has not caught that many games. Um, okay, is it just Weeders and Maurer? Are they Let's, even that big? I don't think Maurer was 230 pounds. Okay. Well, um, Weeders, definitely, right? Yeah. I don't. I couldn't tell you the names off the top of my head. I'd have to run the search oh. again. I just, okay. how many total, how you, you just have to give me a number. How many? How many guys that big have caught even three hundred games in the big leagues? Um, I'll say five. Ever. And you're exactly correct. So there you good, go. There you go, George. So five. So, but like but that said, he moves pretty. You know, he he he'll even flash you average run times at times. But he moves really well. Um, he's got to improve his receiving. Although in terms of framing metrics, he he scores well in the way Texas evaluates that. He he does have arm strength. Um, he threw out 48% of base runners. Um, so it's going to be interesting. You know, if he continues to show his kind of power, I don't know if you want him catching. You know, and he kind of split his time last year between catching and DH, I think, to keep him fresh. Like, I don't think you want to beat a guy down with this kind of power with 110 games behind the plate in the big league level. So maybe it'll be one of these deals where he's, you know, half catcher, half DH. Uh, but but the, the, the power is real. I mean, the, the power is definitely real. Um, I was going to say, you know, at the ballpark in Arlington, it might be 35 home run power, but they're moving into a new park and we don't know how it plays yet. But I mean, it, it's huge raw power. I mean, he he hits the ball harder than any Rangers prospect since Joey Gallo. And it's kind of the same super aggressive approach, you know, big strength, big leverage. He's looking to crush the ball. He, Sam Huff is, is very interesting. And if we were doing a short list of players who I'm very curious to see um, how they perform as an encore in 2020. Um, he's that guy. That's a great, that's a great way to phrase that. Cause yeah, he, he uh, absolutely one of the biggest prospect breakouts uh, at any position um, in 2019. Uh, and a really nice guy who was on this podcast and uh, was, was a cool, he was very, it was very cool at the futures game. 
um, to just have him be the guy. Because, like, yeah, if you're if you're a prospect junkie, you know that he was, you know, homering every day in the first half of the season. But for the average, even just, like, fan who was tuning into the Futures game, Sam Huff was one of the least famous guys on the field by far. And, and um, as, we, as we joked, I, I think we said this in our post. Were you there? Did we do yeah, a post? Yeah, we, we did. did we did a post. I think I joked that he deserved another reason he deserved the MVP award was we don't have to belabor the point that the futures game should not be seven innings. It should be nine. (laughs) But had Sam Huff not hit the home run, we never would have seen Luis Patino pitch. And he was he he was, to me, the most electric pitcher there and and had the biggest swag. Like, I think I I think wasn't he walking off the mound like I think before Joe Adele even swung and missed at a pitch to end the bottom of the seventh. So I know I I feel I feel bad that we skipped over Patino in our right-handed pitching prospect discussion, but he, yeah, he's, he is amazing. Hey, but, but anyway, getting back to like your point about Sam Huff was exactly correct that like, you know, there were a lot of famous prospects in that game, but it was cool that a guy like Sam Huff had the moment where he, you know, hits the walk off or not the walk off, the, the game tying yeah. home run yeah. in the, in the, in what would have been the last inning. It was, it was a very cool moment for him. And, and, and I was with you hundred percent. It's cool to see guys who, who aren't as famous, you know, mm-hmm. shine on that stage. Right. And he was like, he was very aware of how like, cool, like he, 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 he also knew going in like, Oh, I'm not the guy that everybody knows it's here. Uh, so it was very cool uh, that that's how it ended up. So um, catcher Jordan, like it's always hard. You know, like, that's it, true. It's, it's always looking for catchers. It's, it's that's maybe true. a little bit easier to get into the futures game with a big year. If you're a catcher and then you can make the most of it like Sam Huff. So any kids listening to this who throw right in and learn catchers. Uh, I, I I am before we move to first baseman uh, for our last discussion here. Uh, I I got I got to stick. I know I know they're all again. We're not going to reveal the top 100 list, but I can see where they are, and I see that they're all very close. But I got to stand up for my man Dalton Varsho here. Uh, another future list. I know I he's you, on I the list. Were, I thought you were upset about somebody who wasn't on the list. You were gonna. Well, okay. Oh, me. actually, I should do that too. Uh, you you well, know what? You can come at me with Varsho first, and then we can. Because you, you teased me before we started recording that there was a catcher you were you were very surprised. Well, well, yeah. Well, okay. So I, I guess. I'm just gonna. We don't even have to have a Varsho discussion because I. Know no, no, we can talk about Varsho. Because I look at I look at him and I see a guy who who has you know perform. I know he he's also had some some injury issues at the end of the season, but um, he's a guy uh that that has performed up up through Double A. Um, you know, also a heck of an athlete. Um, and I know he's 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 number nine. So no no slight. He made the list. But would you say it has more to do with how much we like the guys ahead of him, uh, or that he 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 didn't do anything. You know, is, is there any reason to 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 not feel good about Dalton Varsho from where we were a year ago? I I think there's there, there's two reasons why he ranks ninth on that list. One, again, I think I can say this without my my wearable giving me an electrical electric shock. <laughs> is they listen to me if if they're they're listening in on the podcast. But um, uh, again, the four catchers, Langoliers, Ruiz, Huff, Varsho, all rank within seven spots of each other. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you're basically. I mean, we don't do it this way, but we're basically saying those guys are all so close. You could put their names in a hat and pick them out in any exactly. order. Right. And, and so like, so I'm, I'm, easily, yeah. I'm being picky here. Yeah. But so I he, just, could have, he could have been sixth on the list easily. And, it, you know, you could argue fifth. I, I, I think to me, without speaking for Jonathan and 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 Mike, the, the, the biggest issue I have with Dalton, and I, I like Dalton Varsho a lot. And it was interesting because I do. I have half the country. Jonathan Mayo has half the country. And Varsha was in my half in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, which is not, I mean, it's, it's a good, you know, kind of mid to low major program, but not, not a powerhouse. And when I found out about him in 2017, when he was up on a second round pick, I was like, this guy sounds great. Why didn't this guy stand out as a Wisconsin high school player? Because Wisconsin, generally, when you look you look back and you're like, oh, this guy came out of Wisconsin high schools that year, it's pretty good. And it's not always Gavin Lux in the first round or... Jaron Kendall, who hasn't hit, but went on to be a star at Vanderbilt, or Ben Rorfitt was a second-round pick, and we have A.J. Vukovic this year. Um, uh, Kelnick, obviously. Kelnick. I knew I was forgetting a first-rounder. I was thinking I had this great conversation about Wisconsin players with Owen Miller, one who, who played at Illinois State in college, and actually Gavin Lux and I were talking about the winter meetings, uh, too. And there's all these Wisconsin players, but a lot of times you look back and you're like, oh, that guy's in Wisconsin high school. Jonathan Stever with the White Sox is another one. Don Varsho got no hype as a high school player, and he's the son of a big leaguer, Jordan. Those guys always get overhyped, even if they aren't good. It's so true. It's so son true. Of a big leaguer, especially in a smaller state. It's not like this was Florida, where there's 100 guys looking to get drafted. 
I never heard Dalton Varsha's name at all. And and I don't think that he just automatically transformed to Wisconsin Milwaukee. I mean, you, you had to see some signs of this. Um, and he just got missed. I, I don't get that. But anyway, I'm digressing. The, the one issue I had with Dalton Varsha, I like the bat. Really nice year in Double A last year. He, he probably runs faster than just about any catcher in the minor leagues. There's still some question on the defense. Like it's kind of fringy to average behind the plate in terms of arm strength and receiving. I think the receiving's gotten a little bit better. Um, and so when I'm lining him up, and I will come clean here, I had him ranked. I had him ranked ninth on my own personal catcher list myself. Um, although it's funny, I had Langoliers and Huff and Varsha all back to back to back. Um, three in a row but i i do worry about the defense a little bit um and the the, the the good news is he's athletic enough to play other positions so if he can't if they decide we need a better catcher then maybe he's an outfielder maybe he's a second baseman um you know whatever and he's still a good prospect but if i'm thinking about these guys in the context of catchers i think he's the guy on this list who's most likely to have to move to another position, if that makes sense. That That is definitely fair. Uh, but yeah, at just... the same time, like I just said, if he has to move to another position, I think it hurts him less than it would hurt any of these other guys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because especially you look at even if you said like, oh, wow, he's a second baseman, but he just put up a 900 OPS in double A. Like, OK, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things is that he started four games in center field. Uh, for Jackson down the stretch, which is pretty amazing. Well, you saw him, um, Dave. Know... You see him play in person? Did you see him in the fall league two years ago? I mean, he can really, really run. I oh mean, yeah, it's... yeah. I saw, yeah, I saw him two years ago in the fall league, and, and you know, it's it's really impressive. And he was playing uh, for Team USA in the Premier Twelve. I know you weren't following that as closely. Um, that's where he he ended up, I, I believe, getting hurt. Uh, but he was playing, he was playing left field for them too. Uh, I know he's also done a little bit of time. I know he played a little bit of infield uh, in college. Um, but or maybe like in Northwoods League or something. But uh, he, I agree, he is athletic enough. But in the context of catcher, that is that is a fair fair assessment. But okay, but I have to stand up for Tyler Stevenson here, who was the guest on last week's podcast. Uh, and I assume did you was, promise him he was going to be on the top? 10 I didn't, catcher but list? now I feel bad uh, that that he's you know he's like oh I thought those guys liked me. Um, why why no Tyler? Again, it's it's a good crop. But if I'm looking at uh, at Stevenson, I know he's he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Who's finally mostly healthy this year and, and was also pretty solid uh, in Double A. But I mean, I guess if we're just comparing him to Miguel Amaya, he's three years older, so that's a good read. That's a good place to start. But I don't know. I I, I feel like Tyler Stevenson is, is back on track and, and and deserves to be on here. I'll, I'll say it. Okay. Well, and I think my 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 counterpoint to you would be I don't disagree with you that he's back on track. And he deserves to be on here. I do think that this is a much deeper catcher list than we normally see. Yep. I am uh, again. I don't want somebody to to electroshock me through <laughs> my wearable by mentioning how many of these catchers will be in our top ten prospects list. Um, but it's. It, I think it's the deepest group of catchers we've had in a while. So I don't think there's any shame. I, I, I think I can say. I don't think I'll get shocked for this either. That Tyler Stevenson is literally the catcher number eleven. If we kept right. going, um, he would. Well, I don't think it's, it's pretty clear. Like I guess there's some other guys. You mentioned Cal Raleigh before. Um, you know, a guy who Ronaldo uh, Hernandez. Ronaldo Hernandez was, I believe, on this list last year. Bo Naylor, don't sleep on. I think Bo Naylor is going to be the guy who jumps on this list next year. Maybe a little bit early to have him on here now. Okay. But, but with yeah. Tyler, you know, if you're comparing him to Amaya, I do like Tyler. I I think he's got more offensive ceiling. Although he hasn't ever really put up huge numbers in the minor leagues, I do think Amaya is ultimately a better defender. And as you pointed out, Amaya is three years younger and only one level behind Tyler Stevenson. So I do like Tyler Stevenson. I don't like him better than Miguel Amaya. Um, But but, but it's like I think your point is, given his body of work and the year he had in AA and, and, and the fall league and like, you know, fall league's always tough because you don't want to put too much emphasis on it because it's a small sample size, not always great pitching, but he looked really good in the fall league. I'd say most cases, all that would put Tyler Stevenson on the top 10 catching list. This year's list is just too deep. Totally, totally fair. You you met my challenge with uh, with significant uh, logic and reason, and I appreciate that. Uh, let's move uh, to the first baseman, uh, which, you know, obviously this is almost always the list. 
uh, that is a little bit less sexy than the rest of them. Uh, but we still got some fun names at the top. We got Andrew Vaughn uh, with the White Sox. Of course, he was a, a recent top draft pick. Evan White, who just signed a, a huge extension with the Mariners um, and will probably be in the big leagues for much of this season. Tristan Cassis, Red Sox, Ryan Mountcastle uh, with the Orioles, Seth Beer, Arizona, Lewin Diaz with the Marlins, Bobby Bradley with the Indians, and then three Rockies, which is yeah, a weird, weird. That, that very, very weird. weird. Michael Tolia, uh, Grant Levine, and, uh, and Tyler Nevin. Uh, so before we get to that that weird crop of Rockies in the back of this list, I mean, top of this list, again, I think Andrew Vaughn cleared away uh, the, the number one guy in this list as Pete Alonso uh, was a year ago. Um, again, we can't reveal where, where Vaughn is on the top 100, uh, but but he's he's way ahead of, of Evan White, uh, which is the best way to put this. Well, what we, um, what we can say is he, he is the highest ranked first baseman we've had since Cody Bellinger was 13th on our preseason list in 2017. And Bellinger was unusual. Vaughn is the second highest ranked first baseman since Eric Hosmer, I think, was number eight going into the 2011 season. So he, he we, we won't tell you where he's ranked, but he's ranked exceptionally high for a first baseman. Right. And so, I mean, just to touch on that, I mean, it's just because, as, as we've talked about him, he's he's just one of the best hitting prospects in the minor leagues. And uh, I we can safely project that he will be moving rather fast uh, in the White Sox system. Um, so that will be uh, that'll, that'll, that'll be interesting. I mean, maybe he ends up at DH. We'll see what happens with, with also Jose. a member of former podcast guest, I believe. We for, have yes. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's we always got to give him credit for that. Um, but let's 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 move away from Vaughn here uh, and just to towards towards the middle of this list. Um, Tristan Cassis is a guy, uh, you know, drafting as a high school first baseman is usually not a great sign. But I guess it is a good sign that, that here he is uh, as the number three uh, first base prospect in baseball. Yeah, and he apparently is going to be like like I, I think. I think Alex Spear just tweeted that he's like up to like six five, two fifty five now or something. Like, oh so he's going to be like seven feet tall and three hundred pounds by the time he gets to the big leagues. But um, no, I really like Cassis. He's a, uh, <clears throat> you know, what I like about him. I mean, I say this all the time. I mean, look, when you're that big, the power's obvious, and he's got bat speed and strength and leverage, and you know, he hit nineteen homers to rank third in the Sally League last year, even though he was one of the youngest regulars at age nineteen and, and really didn't have much of a pro debut because he he tore a ligament in his right thumb diving for a, a ground ball at third base in two thousand eighteen. So he kinda came in and did that with almost no uh game experience at the pro level. I like I like the I mean, this is obvious, but it did it, it, it the guys get a lot of money to be power hitters who aren't necessarily good hitters. I like my I like my power hitters who already know how to hit. And it's not just, oh, he's got a lot of raw power, and if he can make contact and do this and that, he's going to be pretty good. This guy can already hit. He has feel for the barrel. He uses the whole field. He doesn't swing and miss exceptionally. Um, he, he draws walks. So, like, you feel really good that this guy's going to get to most of his raw power. So, you know, I, he... I would not be surprised. Well, I, I guess I would not be surprised if he was number one on this list a year from now, except that the White Sox went out and re-signed Jose Abreu and signed Edwin Encarnacion. So Andrew Vaughn, I, I, you know, before that, I thought might be up, you know, at midseason. I think the bat's that good. So maybe Casas won't be number one a year from now, but he certainly could be if Vaughn graduates. If Casas, I think, I think he's definitely going to raise his profile in 2020. Yeah, I mean, as you look at the uh, this, I think that's that's fair. And I, he, I mean, he was he was at the draft, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and he he's he's a big, he's definitely a big guy. But it's crazy that, but I guess that sometimes happens when you draft high schoolers is that they keep growing. So <laughs> I assume that he's probably maxed out now at six five two whatever. But and uh, Neil Cruz keeps going, it seems. Oh, Neil so. Cruz is the tallest human being I've ever seen in my life. That actually, high, quick aside, highlight of of the of the. Uh, week in Miami at the rookie program was O'Neill Cruz just like existing and walking around. And there was a point where we were like walking back into one of the sessions and Joe Adele, who was like walking in behind him, like O'Neill was like standing off to the side, like on his phone. And Joe Adele walks in and looks at me and he points at him. He says, that's the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. He's a shortstop. And you know, it's it funny because if, if you see him, I got to see him play on a backfield it's, spring training last so year. Absurd. I mean, he's, he's not going to stay there. But he plays shortstop 
he, it doesn't look like you think there's no way a guy who's six foot seven but can even, play shortstop. Even if he's playing third, it's insane. Like, well, I, he's going to be a right fielder. I, I right. Just, I, I, but yeah, but I'm I, just saying, like, the fact that he's been playing shortstop at all, like, for whether he is long term in the big leagues or not, is so ridiculous. Because, and, and he, like, but he doesn't. Look, I would say he doesn't. He doesn't even look. I mean, you you can look at him and say, okay, everything's a little bit too long to stay there. But he doesn't look bad playing shortstop. I mean, right. it, it's pretty crazy. Speaking of Joe Adele. I know this will be great on radio because we can't show video, but did you see the Twitter video that was posted yesterday of him doing a box jump? Oh, is it box jump season? I didn't know we're, we're back he, at he, box he, jump. He did five and a half feet. Oh, man. I mean, he basically box jumped on top of Jose Altuve. I mean, it wasn't Altuve, <laughs> but you could have put Jose Altuve in front of the boxes and he would have cleared him. It was crazy. <laughs> Oh my God! I am from a standing position. It wasn't. This wasn't like one of these pitchers who takes a running start and throws 132 miles an hour, <laughs> you know, into a net with the radar gun 10 feet away. He he did a standing box jump five and a half feet tall. 66 inches. Oh man! All right, yeah. Okay, are you watching that now? Did you? I am. No, that? I I. This is. I I saw this video. I just did not realize how high he was jumping. But now yeah, well, I'm... it was nice. Like tip. If again, we're giving tips to youngsters, like we always try to do in the podcast. Jordan, if you're going to do a box jump video. It helps to have the size Make sure of boxes you have yeah. in the video because, like, it looked incredible. And then I did the quick math. I was like, geez, that's five and a half feet. <laughs> how, how many box jumps would it take you to total five and a half feet in box jumps? I think it would probably, probably take three. me three. Probably three. Maybe two. Maybe two. Probably three. Um, but that is very funny. Okay, Joe Adele is amazing. But we're not talking about outfielders yet. That will be on the next podcast. We'll have to uh, all right. video Wait. of ourselves on a, on a later podcast and then tweet it out. How did we even? Oh, we were talking about Tristan Cass's growing. Yes, and he's growing. Okay, uh, let's talk about it. I know Lewin Diaz is another guy who's who's uh, who who is rather lanky uh, and tall for a first baseman. Um, but are there any other guys on, on on the back of this list? Unless you want to just touch on how weird it is that the Rockies have three first basemen uh, on this list at all? Any other uh, standouts here? Um, it's an interesting list. I mean, you know, as you said, it, it's the least sexy position because usually it's the you know, with the exception of. You know, we, we kind of give a short shrift to your, your Mariner there, Jordan, Evan White, who has, you know, probably the most well-rounded tools you'll see in a first baseman. Um, I think there's power coming, too. I mean, power is probably his worst tool. I think there's more power coming. Um, but, you know, these guys are usually, you know, they're bats, and they don't do a whole lot else. So, like, they don't rank as high as, as guys that are positions. Um, you know, it's a really interesting group. Uh, you know, Ryan Mountcastle, AAA International League MVP, I feel like the Orioles wasted a lot of his time playing positions. He had no chance of playing at the big leagues, uh, like shortstop and third base, because his arm just isn't good enough. Um, he's always hit, yet you know his strikeout to walk ratios are a little, little scary. So I'm not sure what to make of him. I and mean, he's he might be a sleeper rookie of the year prospect um, because I would assume he'll crack their lineup in, in, in pretty short order. You know Seth Beer, who's you know, extreme, you know, bat versus, you know, rest of the tools. But he got to double A pretty quickly and got traded. You know, Diaz bounced back from horrible 18. You know, Bobby Bradley's won four home run titles in six pro seasons, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, he, he made then, his debut last year and hit some pretty impressive uh, big league homers, too. And then you've got your, your, your three Rockies, which is interesting. And as you pointed out before we began broadcasting, there's scouts who think Colton Walker winds up at first base too. So, uh, and, and first base might literally be Ryan McMahon's best position at the big league level. So, um, it'll be very interesting <laughs> to see what happens with the Rockies and all these first basemen. Um, yeah, I guess Nevin goes to triple a next year. Levine goes to high a and, and Tolio probably goes to low a, although Levine did struggle in Asheville and Tolio is coming out of UCLA. So maybe you let Levine start the year in, it, you know, repeat in Asheville and, and send Tolio straight to straight to IA, Lancaster. So. Yeah, which is whoever like they'll be fighting over that one. Like, I mean, not Asheville's a great place to hit too, especially if you're a lefty hitter, and and Levine is and Tolio is a switch hitter. But Lancaster is probably the best place to hit in just about the whole minors. So they may have to fight for who gets the right to go to go to Lancaster. <laughs> that's that's very possible. I mean, Grant Levine in, in Asheville though is. That that's you know it's like two seventy five to right, so uh, he might enjoy some some nice numbers there. But yeah, it's, it's it is a strange list. The first base list is always weird, and you know there are some other guys you could project ending up at first base. Uh, another guy who you know we'll see where he ends up on the third base list uh, is Bobby Dahlbeck, 
who might be fighting for a job, a first base job uh, in Boston this year, because he's certainly not taking the job from Devers. Um, so he's a guy. Even though he's I, a better defender than De- Devers did improve, but he's a better defender than Devers. But you're right, and um, yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, Dahlbeck. Well, is and very- I, actually, I'll, I'll just ask you this here because we're not going to spoil anything on the third base list. And where would you put Dahlbeck? On? I'll just I'll just throw it to you. Where would you put Dahlbeck on this list? Well. <clears throat> You have some top 100 mechanics coming into play. Right, I that's true. Okay, to. so so. But I'm going to throw those aside and just where I would personally yes. put Dahlbeck on this list. Um, I would I would put him. I put after. him behind Seth Beer, but I, I think you could argue him, him over Mount Castle. Okay. Where would you put him? I'd I'd put him between. Oh man, I think I'd put him between Beer and Diaz. Maybe between Diaz and Bradley. I would take him over Lou and Diaz because. This makes no sense. I mean, if you're on the first, I mean, because you could, I mean, Luis Diaz can only play first base. This is a good first baseman. Right. Bobby Dahlbeck would, if even if you were considering him as a first baseman, would have some extra value because he has some extra value. Like, that's true. To or, other teams that are not the Red Sox. That's yeah. True. That's I mean, true. Diaz might be a little bit better pure hitter. Dahlbeck's got more power. Right. By um, a lot. That's true. Yeah. 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 So I might put it between Beer and Diaz, but I think you could also, if you told me he wound up being better. Than um, Ryan Mountcastle and Seth Beer, um, I, I don't think that's impossible either. Yeah. All right, well there you go. We gave you bonus first base rankings, Chad. Even though he's not even uh, on this list, uh, Jim, this has been a pleasure uh, as always. Uh, we look forward to 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 talking about the rest of these lists uh, as well as the top 100 uh, in the near future. Um, but thank you for joining me. Uh, any any final thoughts? Uh, any final thoughts on this? Did you learn? Did you feel like we 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 learned some things today? We 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 got got some of the good prospect discussion out. I do. I, I do feel like the, I I don't know if I learned anything today <laughs> because I put all these lists together and looked at them pretty carefully. I hope I hope you learned something today. I, of course, I always I always learn something on these shows. Um, so, uh, yeah. But uh, but no, I think it was good. And just you know, we'll throw another plug. And next week we'll continue coming with these these prospect lists. Um, Monday through Thursday, we'll go second base, third base, shortstop, outfielder. Mm-hmm. So a lot of uh, a lot of good position players next week. Um, we'll have some top 100 content for you Friday. Although I don't know if I know exactly what that is off the top of my head. Um, and then again Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern on MLB Network and MLB.com. We'll have the one-hour-long Top 100 Prospects show, and it will play several times over the weekend. Uh, so we'll, we'll lead up to that, and, and I'm pretty sure we will we'll do an early-week podcast the following week to, to highlight uh, the, the, that list and all kinds of discussion, and you can grill me and Jonathan about why certain guys rank where uh, at that point. Indeed, indeed. Well, we look forward to that. Uh, Jim, thanks for doing this uh, with me today. And uh, to all of our our fine listeners, uh, we will talk to you very soon. For Jim Callis, I'm your host, Jordan Schusterman, and we will talk to you guys soon.